That, that's the bottom line, y'all. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. So it means he's already overcome everything that's trying to overcome you. Amen. Let's our message this morning from, uh, we're, we're in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, series is a road to renewal. And uh, we uh, are on, we, we've been looking at this in four installments. We started with embracing the vision, engaging the process, resisting the opposition today, resisting the opposition. And then next week we'll talk about restoring the foundation. But today we're talking about resisting the opposition. And there have been various streams of thought that have entered into our conversation today that have that have kind of fed into this. So as we go forward, just try to allow the Holy Spirit to, to synthesize everything together. So we come away from this service today strengthened and encouraged and, and armed with the, with the tools, some of the tools we need to resist the inevitable opposition that we face in life as God's people. Um, let me just go back for a minute. Uh, let, I can imagine that all of us could think about some times in our lives when we face some opposition, uh, and probably many of us are dealing with opposition right now in this very moment, um, and it's never fun or it's never pleasant to be opposed or to have someone or something opposing you. Uh, but it's especially, opposition is especially difficult when you're doing the right thing. Now, when I'm messing up, if I'm doing the wrong thing, I and, 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 and some some force or somebody opposes me, I would expect that, maybe even welcome that. But when I'm trying with all my might to do the will of God, when I'm trying to do a good thing or the right thing, and opposition comes, it, it is really difficult to deal with. And I've, I've encouraged us over the last few weeks to consider if God has placed a vision in our hearts or a burden in our heart, and I like what Arian shared about purpose this morning. If we've discovered our purpose and that purpose is birthed within us a vision for what needs to happen in our lives or what needs to happen in the church or in the world around us or in our family. And, uh, and uh, if, if you have, if, that is, if that's the case that God has, you, you, you can discern that God has given you a vision for your life or some vision for change or for restoration or renewal or rebuilding in some area. I want to encourage you this morning, and these are not pleasant words, but the truth is to, to prepare yourself for opposition because it's, it's inevitable. I hate to have to say that, but that's how life works. And we don't approach life as Christians from a Pollyannish, uh, the way we wish it would be if we think real hard and clench our fist and, and, and deny the, re- the existence of reality, it'll go away. The reality is that when you set out to do the right thing, when you set out to do the, the good thing, when you set out to do a God thing, opposition will come. If God's placed a vision in your heart, that means that he's put an idea in your mind and, and, and something in your world, something needs to change. And guess what? People don't like change. Renewal, restoration, the vision that God gives us, the purpose that God places in our lives usually results in something being changed. And people do not like change and people are resistant to change. Um, but the, and the other thing that complicates this, this formula, and, and we'll, we'll see that as we go along this morning, is that I, if, if you have a vision for your life or a vision for something God is doing in you or around you or through you, uh, you probably were not given by God detailed instructions to go along with that vision. And so there are going to be gaps in your plan of action and a little bit of trial and error in that process. It's not a seamless process. 
And so you know that things need to change. You've prayed and you have planned, but you don't know exactly in your mind and you're thinking how things need to work to bring about that change. And, and it, so every vision involves change and involves gaps in planning. And, and so those two elements all often incite criticism from other people. And, and whenever, you, whenever you attempt to bring about change, it, it plays on the insecurities of those who have grown accustomed to the way things are and the way things have always been. And this is why vision and visionaries are often seen as a threat. And, and, and that's why visions are easy to, to criticize because of the inherent gaps, because the very nature of visions is that there are far more answers on the what side of the equation than there are on the how side of the equation, if you know what I mean. There, are, there tend to be holes in the, in the plan. thought about a couple of fo- uh, figures in history who did some amazing things. Thomas Edison, when he thought that he could, he could provide light through something other than fire, uh, he, he, that was the vision, and he knew that he could get to that, but he didn't know yet exactly how he was going to create that much better future. And you better believe that Thomas Edison had his share of critics, especially after the first thousand or so attempted filaments that didn't work out for his light bulb. Uh, Henry and Orville Wright uh, wanted to fly uh, as boys and many years afterwards, and but they didn't initially know how, and they just knew that flying was something that should be possible. And as they failed over and over again, you know that people laughed at them and they had their share of critics, but thank God, next time you decide to go visit your, your auntie on the East Coast and you don't want to take the train, thank God that they didn't give in to their critics and give up. And so these last few weeks we've been looking at the story of Nehemiah, and we saw Nehemiah receive a vision from God, the vision to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and we saw him respond in, in faith uh, and, and ask the king not only to let him return back home, but to supply the building materials he needed and to provide safe travel for him. And this week what we'll see is Nehemiah faces some major opposition and we'll, we'll learn hopefully this morning how to deal with opposition in our lives as we, as we, as we study his example. Ne- Nehemiah faced a lot of criticism trying to accomplish what he thought should happen. And his desire to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem intimidated and, and literally scared many of the nearby leaders. And for Israel to get back on her feet meant the end of their control of that region. And just as much as people hate change, you know what else they hate? They hate giving up control. And in Nehemiah's story, a guy by the name of Sanballat, the governor of Samaria, he had, a, he had the most to lose. And the other leaders in the area followed him and they took their cues from him. The other, but the fact that the Jews would begin rebuilding the wall without first consulting him was infuriating because he was losing control. Matter of fact, you can see Sanballat's response in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, Samaria He said, what are those feeble Jews doing? (laughs) Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? He goes on, he says, he says, Tobiah, well, then it goes on, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. 
it's cute to me because it's like you see Sam Ballard making a rather grand proclamation here in his assessment and, and ridiculing and, and deriding what is going on. And then Tobias, like, it's like the little chump who comes along and says, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, just like the little sidekick who's just a, a sycophant who's just basically co-signing on everything Sandbell says. And what are they building? Even a fox climb oh, up on it would break down their wall of stones. And so you see here, Sandbell had mocked the Jews. He talks about them badly in front of other people. And this caused them, the other people to ridicule as well, including Tobiah. He leveled, Sandbell leveled this criticism with a specific purpose in mind. He wanted to discourage the workers to the point Do you see an important life parallel there for you and me? When the enemy, the accuser of the brethren, the adversary, when he whispers in our ears and ridicules what we're trying to do for God or what we're trying to do to better our lives or to better our family or to go deeper in the things of God, that ridicule has one purpose and it is to discourage us to the point of giving up and quitting. And so he he made known, Sanbao did that, he made sure that his, his opinions were known throughout the region, and before long, the word began to spread among the workers. But uh, verse, uh, the sixth verse, the second part, tells us this, that they continue to work with all their heart. They weren't discouraged. So Sanballat had to come up with another plan because his initial plan hasn't worked. And so in verses 7 and 8 of chapter 4, uh, let's see here, here we go. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's, Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come uh, and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. So if they're saying, if, if our words alone don't work, if our verbal intimidation won't work, we, we'll, we'll resort to violence. They had no problem turning to violence. And Sanballat c- contacted the area leaders and he plans this, this physical attack from all sides. And so the word spreads like wildfire to the point that verse 12 tells us this. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. You get the message here, right? It's pretty clear. Nehemiah's opponents are saying this, give up, quit, or we're going to kill you. And then that's one thing, and that's, that's the, the obvious threat. But by this time in the process, other obstacles to rebuilding the wall were, were becoming more clear and, becoming, and, and, and starting to seem more insurmountable. For instance, there, 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 there is more rubbish than they know what to do with. The workers are, are beginning to get tired. The excitement of the new project has worn off. You know how that is when something is new and fresh and we, we're going at it, we're excited, but after a while when the, 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 the tedium of the work sets in, we, we get, the excitement wears off, the thrill is gone, right? They're losing their enthusiasm and their families are placed at risk and their own people their families and the people around them are saying, y'all need to stop because somebody's going to get hurt here. Let me ask you this this morning. On this, our 26th Zoom service, six months into this thing, have you ever been there? 
Have you ever been excited about something and tried to get others on board because you envisioned something better, but then you face some serious opposition? So then how do we respond to that? What, what do we do? What do you do when you're trying to do the right thing, but those around you are trying to bring you down? What do you do when the circumstances of your life seem like they're going directly against what you think or suppose is God's plan for you? How do you handle those who ridicule you or even threaten violence or, or lie to you? Nehemiah gives us an example to follow as we seek to follow the vision that God has for us. First of all, understand this, and this is the broad, this is the broad picture here. This is the, the big picture of what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah keeps a, a, a tight rein, a tight hold on he clings, if you will, to the spiritual significance of the task. For Nehemiah, this is more than just brick mortar and, 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 and trash detail. It's not just simply trowels and, and cement and work. He's not distracted by the tedium and by the opposition. He's not distracted from the, the, the task significance. Okay, Remember last week, we, they, they concluded, said, we're doing a, a great work. This is a good thing. This is important. This is significant. This is something to be taken seriously. This is something that we don't take lightly. And so he held firmly to the spiritual significance of what he was called to do. And so he's able to see through the details of, of, of the situation and all of the minutiae to the core of what the vision was all about. And so when he faces criticism, Nehemiah does three things. And that's what we want to talk about going forward. Number one, he prayed. Number two, he remembered the source of his vision. And number three, he makes the necessary revisions to his plan. So the first thing is this, Nehemiah prayed. Now, after each episode of oppositions in chapter, and this runs basically chapter four through chapter seven, after each one, you'll see that Nehemiah prays. We see his prayers beginning in, in, in the fourth verse of chapter four, and the 19th verse of chapter five, the ninth verse of chapter six, and, and 614. But let's take a look at his first prayer in Nehemiah 4, 4 and 5. He says, Hear us, O God, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, where they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Now, if we were in a situation where I could speak to you and, have, and hear you speaking back to me without unmuting you and being disrupted, I, I would say, what, what, is, what is Nehemiah's emotion here? What is his affect? What is, what is going on? What's his emotional state? And I think it's obvious Nehemiah is ticked off. Nehemiah is angry. But let me ask you another question. Have you ever prayed like this? Or is it even, some of you were saying, I don't know, is it, is it even okay to pray like this? Well, take, pay close attention to what I'm going to say here and, and, and never forget it. It is absolutely okay to pray like this. It is absolutely okay to pray like this. And you say, well, Charles, what do you, how, how, how can you say it? I said, I'll tell you this because there are prayers like this all through the Psalms. See, God knows our thoughts anyway. So you may as well take your thoughts to God, knowing that he is big enough to deal with them. But, but, but don't miss this. 
in an emotionally charged environment, notice what Nehemiah's first response is, prayer. Notice that there's no transition between the ridicule he receives and his, and his prayer. It's immediately, boom, he goes right to his knees in prayer. Nehemiah doesn't complain to his friends. Nehemiah doesn't punch a hole in the wall. Nehemiah doesn't take time to journal. Nehemiah, Nehemiah immediately took everything he was thinking and feeling to God, and then he went back to work. There's no transition. Look at verse 6 immediately after following his prayer. So we re rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. By responding this way, Nehemiah avoids a common mistake often associated with criticism, and we want to avoid that mistake as well. He did not allow his enemies to become the focus of his attention. See, our natural response is to do what? To defend ourselves. So we end up wasting energy and, and mental power, if you will, trying to answer questions for people who really are generally not interested in the answers. And so then without realizing it, our, our focus begins to shift. Instead of being remaining vision-centered, we become critic-centered. And let me tell you, my friends, we cannot allow that to happen. And, and though criticism often strikes this emotional chord within us and, and that emotion has to go somewhere, the healthy and helpful thing for us to do is this, to pour out our heart to God. And when we do that, that's an expression of faith and trust. And this kind of honest communication is necessary if you're going to develop intimacy in your relationship with your Heavenly Father. Prayer will put criticism in its proper context. Prayer will enable you, by the grace of God, to evaluate criticism from God's perspective. And having vented your concerns to the one who knows your heart, you'll find it much easier to address your critics with grace. Nehemiah prayed. Second thing is this. Nehemiah remembered the source of his vision. What does Nehemiah remember? He remembers who it was that brought him to Jerusalem in the first place. Nehemiah remembers God's intervention with King Artaxerxes. Nehemiah remembers what could and should be done in Jerusalem. And it is this memory, or these memories, if you will, that give him strength and courage to move forward and to keep on pressing forward in spite of the criticism and the threats these aren't just memories that flash into Nehemiah's mind, but Nehemiah dwelled on these things. He meditated on these things. He ruminated on these things. He reflected on God's faithfulness. And by looking back and reflecting on God's faithfulness, he gained the energy to move forward. But not only that, you'll notice in verse 14 that Nehemiah calls on his people to remember as well. He says, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Wow, he's saying, you know, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord and remember something very important to, to, re, to keep in mind about God and that he is great and awesome. 
Amen. We, we speak to each other with those words. We say, we're, because he's great and awesome, we're more than conquerors. Because he's great and, and awesome, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Because he's great and awesome, in the words of Jesus, you don't have to fear because I have overcome the world. He is great and awesome. And so Nehemiah deals with the present by focusing the attention of the workers on God's faithfulness in the past and his vision for the future. The reason why some of us this morning can say I won't complain is because we remember the way God has been faithful to us in times past and the fact that he brought us this far. And so I'm pretty sure that he didn't bring us this far to leave us. One of the things that gives us energy to move forward, COVID-19 or whatever 19, is the fact that God has shown and proven himself faithful to us throughout the years of our lives. And on this on this conference today, there, there are a whole bunch of us, and I'm sure that there are scores and scores of stories and testimonies and remembrances and times in your life when you thought you couldn't make it, but God in his faithfulness brought you through. When you were down, he picked you up. When you, when you were struggling, he came alongside you and helped you. When you were emotionally distraught and maybe even tormented, he came and brought peace and calm. He spoke to the storm and said, peace be still. When you were going through that, that tumultuous time of storm in your life, and we think back and remember that we remember God's faithfulness in the past and that and we also remember his vision for the future because some of the reason y'all are in church is because God gave you a vision a vision of something that you could be in Christ that you could be you could be that new creation and that you could get free from those sins that had bound you and and, and held you down and you could live a new life of righteousness and you could have good relationships, and you could be a leader in your community. You could be somebody that, that, that would bring honor and glory to God and make people around you proud. You had a vision in your life, and, and never forget that vision. As a church, we never forgot the fact that the reason God called us together was to build a, a loving community of people that could, could proclaim the gospel in our context to our community, and we could walk in love and unity and, and be a blessing to people, anyone who came in contact with us. That's the vision, and COVID-19 might have, might have sought to disrupt that because we have a building over there with beautiful clean carpets and, 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 and all ready for us, but we can't logistically and strategically go back in there right now, but the devil is a lie and God has blessed us over these 26 weeks and we, we've had a greater outreach and a greater dimension of fellowship than, than we even enjoyed when we were meeting physically because we remember the vision and we remember God who is great and mighty and who wouldn't let us fail. God who is great and awesome. So Nehemiah dealt with the present criticism and the present struggle and the present opposition by focusing those around him, focusing their attention on God's faithfulness in the past and the vision that they have that God has given them for the future. The obstacles of the present can easily overwhelm our commitment to what could and should be in the future. But by the grace of God and by the love and the support of all y'all, we have not let go of the vision God's place in our heart. Amen. But as long as we respond to criticism by evaluating our potential, then we'll be tempted to give up. But look at what they did. When, when we remember the Lord, who is what? Great and awesome. Then it becomes a different story. Because the issue is not our abilities or the feasibility of, the, of whatever the project is God has us engaged in. The issue is not whether or not we will follow through with what we know to do. We do what we, we can do, and we trust God to do what only he can do.
Let me say that again. We do what we can do, and then we trust God to do what only he can do. So for Nehemiah, this means going back to work. So that's what he does. I don't know about you, but that's what I'm doing, and that's what I'm going to do. Amen. And then the third thing is this. Nehemiah, number three, revised his plan. The third way we see Nehemiah responding to opposition is by revising his plan. Nehemiah understands the delicate balance between walking by faith and leading strategically. Nehemiah's trust was in God, but at the same time, he didn't abandon his responsibility to do what he could to further the vision. And so when his people are threatened with violence, he doesn't stop the work, but he did have, he did modify the plan because he had half the people stand guard while the other half worked. And there's an important principle here for us. We must be careful not to confuse our plans with God's vision. Let me say that again. We must be careful not to confuse our plan, plans with God's vision. Sometimes people give up or abandon a vision from God when their plans don't work out. But it's like they say we need to be careful not to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Uh, that's a pretty scary prospect, especially when the baby's as big as, as Orion. Uh, we need to be careful not to throw out the vision due to inadequate plans. Remember what a vision is. A vision is, is, is a, a, an internal conception of what, what, what could and what should happen. A plan is our best estimation of, or guesstimation, if you will, as to how to accomplish that vision. And sometimes our plans don't work out, but that doesn't mean that we have a bad vision. It means we need a better plan. So when Nehemiah's plans began to feel like they weren't going to work out because of the opposition, what did he do? He revisited the vision, and he encouraged the people to remember the Lord, and then they got back to work, and they went back to work. How? With a revised plan. Now they're carrying weapons in one hand. They're strapped, man. They're carrying weapons in one hand and their tools in the other. And they went back to work nonetheless because the vision was still alive. As we think about how Nehemiah responded, I want you to consider the types of opposition he faced. And over the course of a few chapters, between chapter 4 and chapter 7, he faces all these things. He faces ridicule. He faces threats of violence. He faces complaints from within his community because of the abuse from the outside, from without his community. He faces trickery as the enemy invites Nehemiah at one point to, to meet with them, scheming the harm, and they want him to, to hey, come over here and uh, the, plane, to the plane of Ono. Oh and that, you know, that's a nice play on words there because then Nehemiah says, oh, no, uh, I'm not coming down to fall into that, that trick. But that's trickery. If they, if they face false accusations. As, as, as the accusation, the ac, ac, I'm sorry, accusations are, are that they're saying these Jews are actually planning to revolt. And that's false, but they lied on it. And then finally, they even tricked a prophet in to, to, to trick Nehemiah into to hiding. And then the intimidation by Tobiah, who ultimately sends letters to intimidate Nehemiah. Man, it's a full-on campaign that they mount in opposition to him. They went through a lot. And get this. The Bible deals with the real-life struggle that you and I face. God is not aware of these kinds of things. And in the larger picture of his plan, these things 
pose no problem to God whatsoever. As a matter of fact, often these things merely serve as a catalyst for the fulfillment of the vision. And so you and I will face in our lives as we pursue God's plan. We'll face ridicule. Some of you were ridiculed when you gave your life to Jesus and turned away from your old way. When you wouldn't party like you used to do or wouldn't carouse and, and act up like you did with your, your, your friends, and maybe your family members ridiculed you. Sometimes we'll face threats of violence. Sometimes we'll get, face complaints. We certainly will face tricker, trickery and manipulation, false accusations. God knows that. And, and the bio, I love the fact that the Bible deals with the struggles of, that the real struggles that real people face. But these things are nothing to God. God is greater than all of them. And God can turn them around and use them to further his plan. And so this morning as I as we wrap this up and we prepare to move on in another week. Um, this is what I want you to do today, okay? I want you to do this. Listen to me carefully. When you face opposition, and some of you are, some of you have, if you haven't, if you're not, you will at some point in your life. And so if not now, just put this away in your, in, in, in your knapsack. Put, just, just remember the stuff. Hide it, hold on to it, and remember Number one, do this. You go immediately to God in prayer and pour your heart out. No holes barred, no pretty language, not trying to theologize, not trying to be no these and thous and Lord, I come to you. No, no, Lord, this is messed up. These people are messing with me. They're lying on me. God, why? I don't like that. Tell it like it is. Like, you know, some of y'all got that, 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 that close friend that you just, you know, like sometimes some of us, like the what our spouse, when we just, we just, we're unfiltered. We say what we feel. We, we, we would do well to, to, be, to be that way with God. Go immediately to God in prayer and pour your heart out like Nehemiah did. Number two, when you face opposition in your life, stop for a moment and remember, first of all, beyond you, how God has worked throughout history in the lives of his people. And we see throughout the what we call salvation history, the story in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We see it in the lives of other great people of God through the years and through the ages. Some of you see it. Daryl Woolfolk this morning gave us a picture of the faith of his mother that has sustained her through, through, through inc- incredible hardship and, and the loss of vision and all the things that went with that into her old age, but yet has, has enabled her to re- retain some degree of peace to where she d- is, doesn't complain. That, that's a legacy. That, that's a testimony of the faithfulness of God that has kept her heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Remember how he's worked through, 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 through your mother, your grandmother. Remember how he's worked in your own life. I could go back over the years of my life. I've got a lot of years now, so a lot, there's a lot of life to review. I can go back and I can think about the times I was, you know, I think about Felix the cat, the wonderful, wonderful cat. Whenever he gets in a fix, he reaches into his bag of tricks. Some of you are too, too young to even know about that. But I, I, you know, there are times I would get in a fix and I would try to reach into my bag of tricks, but my, my bag of tricks was not cool like Felix's, because Felix's bag, you know, Felix would make a, a stairway with his bag and it would just turn into a stairway. He could walk. My bag of tricks basically was, I looked in there, there wasn't anything in there. And so I had to cry out to God. And I'm telling him from the time I was a young guy, I would get, I would find myself facing opposition, facing struggle, facing misunderstanding. And I learned early on in my life to cry out to God and God time and time again, proved himself faithful to me. The reason I've been able to be in this ministry for almost 29 years is the faithfulness of God through all of the, there were times I faced opposition. There were times I was misunderstood. There were times I was lied on straight out. 
but I think about the faithfulness of God and how he worked in my life. And so when you face opposition, the second thing, like Nehemiah, remember the source of your vision. Who put it in your heart to be something more than you were? Who put it in your heart to be a Christ? Who, who, I mean, it, it was God who drew you to himself, and he placed in your heart the vision for your life, for your family, for your business, for your community. And so remember him. And then finally, number three, be willing to change your plans if necessary. But never, ever give up on the vision he's given you. A good example of that is like, listen, and a lot of church leaders are still bent out of shape over this because like, man, I mean, we, we want to go to church. We want to, we want to, I, I learned and I, I, I tend to believe, as you can disagree with me, that's fine, but I, I tend to believe those who know more than I do about certain things and that, that probably the idea of going into a small closed room and, uh, and, and, and singing together and blowing germs into the air and, uh, and, and hugging each other and the stuff that we like to do uh, is probably not a good bet during a time of a global pandemic. And that's proved itself out in, uh, in like the choir rehearsal early on up in the, in the, in the Northwest somewhere where, where, you know, the choir met rehearsed and a whole rip of them ended up sick. And uh, the guy that did the wedding in Maine and, uh, and he gave it to the people at the wedding and they took it out to other places. And he went back to his church and had services because they, they weren't going to tell him what to do. So we had to change our plans. Our plans were to be at 1125 Centinella. Our plan, you know, we, we had, we have a worship team, a band. We, that's, we were working on our plan. We had new songs. We're doing it. We go, we go, we're cranking it up. Our plans were to do several outreaches this year out in, on the, in the community. And, and strategically, that was not possible. Did we quit? You could say no. Did we give up? No. Did we throw in the towels? Oh my God, no. We are being the church and we're doing it more ferociously and fiercely and lovingly and, and beautifully as ever. And uh, we're not missing a beat. So what you do is you revise the plan, but you never give up on the vision. And so as you, as you press on individually and as we press on as a church, may we not be bound by the fear of change. May we not be bound by the fear of following God and the cost you, that we inevitably pay when we choose to follow Christ. But may we all continue to move forward in faith with the ultimate hope of, of seeing God's vision uh, in our lives, in our family, for our family, for our, our church, our communities, come into fruition and come to fulfillment. Why? Why? Because we serve a God who is great.